we are finishing up a three-week sermon series called Resetting Family Rhythms. If you're just now walking in, you're like, you're not Pastor Jim. Who are you? I'm Pastor Tito. I'm the next-gen pastor here at Westover. So thank you. I get the privilege of working with your middle schoolers, your high schoolers, and your incredible young adults. And it is such an honor, such an honor. And so we're on week three of this sermon series. And if you would just take a moment, why don't you turn to someone next to you and just let them know how lucky they are to get to sit next to you, how glad you are that y'all are getting to share the same space. Then give them a compliment, maybe something about their hair or lack of hair or how proportionate their face is or, you know, you knock yourself out. <laughs> So our goal in this series has been to help you take a good look at your life, your habits, your priorities, and to figure out what do we need to reset? And what have we been doing that honestly, it just, it hasn't been very helpful. And then giving you and those you love some practical wisdom from God's word on how we can recenter our lives around Jesus who we believe is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Come on, somebody. That's one of those shouting verses. That'll bring the Acts 2 forward like right out of you. (laughs) So I just wanted to start with this idea. Every one of us, whether we're a millennial, whether we're Gen Z or Gen Alpha, whether we're a boomer or a sooner or whatever, (laughs) we were designed to worship. We were all uniquely designed by our creator to be drawn to things that inspire awe in all of us. Places like, if you've ever been there, Niagara Falls, or the Grand Canyon, or outer space, the final frontier. Things that are bigger than us, like dinosaurs, skyscrapers, larger-than-life stories, and people who inspire us. Even as a kid, we have our list of superheroes, Uh, Maybe, if you're here, let me know if you're a Captain America fan or a Hulk or an Iron Man fan, a couple of you in the house. I know I am. Any Spider-Man people in the house? Yeah, he's pretty much the coolest. And then we have our list of Disney princesses. This is where my girls live. This is like their world. Princess Jasmine, Belle, Rapunzel, Sleeping Beauty, and the amazing Elsa and Anna of Arendelle. (laughs) And then as we get older, our superheroes tend to drift from the imaginary, usually to the celebrity. There are superheroes, maybe people like Millie Bobby Brown or Tom Holland or Kylie Jenner or Khalid or Lauren Gray or Post Malone or maybe Kawhi or maybe LeBron or maybe Drew Brees or J.J. Watt. You're like, you don't know anything about sports, Pastor Tito. I know I Googled those guys, okay? (laughs) But here's the thing. (laughs) We tend to put our superheroes on these pedestals, and we tend to to just see the best in them and assume that they're perfect, and we're just so shocked and we're so let down when they fall short. And friends, here's why. Because there's something in us that was designed to worship. And left unchecked, our hearts, like magnets, will be drawn to whatever and whomever is to us the most inspiring the most admirable and larger than life in that moment according to our standards, according to our approximations for better, for worse, for right, and for wrong. For instance, imagine with me, go back in time 200 years ago. You're in the 1800s. You're like, I don't don't even know what I'd be wearing, (laughs) right? 
Cars have not been invented yet. There are no cell phones. There's no internet. It's the worst, okay? It's a cold, rainy day. There are thousands of men, elders, fathers, men of respect, gathering together. They're dressed in feathers. They're wearing face paint. They're yelling, they're hollering to the sounds of beating drums. You probably pictured like a group of American Indians coming together. But fast forward to one of our favorite days of the year, the first Sunday in February. Some of the ladies were like, wait, what? What's happening there? Ladies, listen, if it's your anniversary, I'm so sorry in advance. Kids, if it's your birthday, I'm so sorry. But for most of the men, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the Super Bowl. Right? It's the Chiefs versus the 49ers this year. Shout out. We have a big game party for you, by the way, in the gym that you're all invited to. 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. It's going to be amazing. And I know that's a silly example. I know. But when you watch a football game and when you see those like super, super, super fans, you know the ones, the men with their bellies painted, And they're wearing the the colored makeup. It's like caked onto every pore on their faces. You know what I'm talking about? And and their wives are like, hey, where'd my makeup go? (laughs) I mean, number one, it's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. But number two, it's so obvious that it's ingrained into us to believe in something bigger than ourselves. To cheer loudly for a person or a group of people that hold our hopes and our aspirations on their shoulders. Friends, it's because we were created this way. But here's where it can get dangerous. Because we may unintentionally place things on the thrones of our hearts that don't belong. And if we're not careful, even as parents, we may thrust all of our hopes and all of our dreams onto our kids. We want them to become the next NFL or NBA or MLB star or the next Olympic gold medalist. We want them to be a doctor or we want them to be the next president. We want them to be everything we hope that we could be. And sometimes we'll skip church to help them accomplish our dreams. I mean, their dreams, sorry. And we'll skip out on our devotional time together as a family because we're helping them study for that spelling test or helping them prep for tryouts or because they got that big project due. And we'll let them choose who their friends are and what apps they'll download without inspecting. Because ultimately, we want them to be happy. Friends, some of us, we've allowed our children to live on the thrones of our hearts. We've made our kids the center of our universe. Their games, their achievements, their interests. And as a result, the pressure for them to perform, the weight of our hopes and our aspirations... It just becomes overwhelming and crippling for them, and it's too much weight for a kid. And for others of us, our relationships are what we worship. We need to be needed so badly. Ladies, it's like when you meet that guy, and you think he's the one, and he's crazy about you, and he'll text you just in the middle of the day to be like, ah. I'm thinking about you. And you read that text, you're at work or in the middle of class, and you're like, hooey. And he's buying you flowers, and he's buying your dinners. Can I get an amen from some lady in the house? Hallelujah. 
Others of you, you're like, Lord, let it be as you say. I receive it in the name of Jesus right now, God. God, if you could do anything, Lord, do it in me, right? (laughs) And when it happens, it's breathtaking. It's thrilling. But over time, if you stay the center of his world, and he doesn't want to hang out with his guy friends anymore, and he doesn't want you hanging out with your girlfriends anymore, that relationship quickly goes from breathtaking to suffocating. You're calling your older brother, you know, the one in the biker gang, or your primos, you know, the one with the past, you know, and he's going to come and he's going to rescue you, hallelujah. (laughs) And here's why. Because we were not meant to be worshipped. It's too much pressure. The weight, the expectations, it's too much for us. And for some of us, the object of our worship, what we place on the throne of our hearts, well, it's ourselves. It's satisfying our goals and our dreams. It's living for our pleasure. It's taking care of number one. Comedian Jim Carrey said it this way. I think everyone should get rich and famous. All right, it sounds good. (laughs) And do everything they've ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. Wow. I mean, that's huge. And here's what God knows. And here's what's got to be at the center of our worldview. We are most deeply satisfied when God is most fully glorified. Now, when I first heard this idea, I was in middle school. It was the summer after seventh grade. I mean, can you even imagine a seventh grade Pastor Tito, right? You're like, did he have a beard? Did he not have a beard? Were his arms, like, too long for his body? Did his voice crack? I don't want to talk about it. Okay, let's just move on. It was that summer, and I remember first hearing an idea like this, that we are most deeply satisfied when he is most fully glorified. And I just remember thinking, that's so strange. Why is God so self-absorbed? Why does God want everybody to be obsessed with him? Why does it have to be all about him? I mean... He acts like the whole universe revolves around him or something, right? And it took some time. But eventually I realized that God wants us to make him the center of our lives, not for his good, but for our good. Friends, that's a big thing. God wants us to make him the center of our lives, not for his own good, but for ours. And if you think of it for a moment, I just want you to imagine you were God. Like, oh boy. You could fly. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. You could read minds. Awesome. You could literally do anything excellent, (laughs) right? But as God, here's what you've chosen to do. You've chosen, you've stitched together every human being that ever was in the darkness of their mother's tummies. And you know your creation fully and intimately. And you knew that your children could never, ever truly be completely happy. They can never be deeply satisfied with just their families, with just their relationships, with just their careers, with just pleasing themselves. They would never be fully content without you. Then if you were God, I imagine you would do whatever it takes to make yourself known. You would show up regularly, and you would show up in big ways. 
maybe even coming to the earth as a little baby, vulnerable and defenseless. Even living a perfect life and never sinning, never getting married, never having little babies of your own. Can you imagine little Jesus juniors walking around and like healing people and like resurrecting dead frogs and stuff? Never owning your own home? Never climbing the corporate ladder, making those denarii on denarii? Sorry, Bible joke. (laughs) And then as God, you would want to make sure that your children knew that you were always, always with them even by sending your own spirit to live on the inside of them. And then you would bless them and help them in ways they didn't even realize, even by dying in their place for their sins. Friends, Jesus became a person to prove that God is personal. God did all this just so that the creation he loves so much can feel what real happiness feels like, what real joy really is. And the answer, friends, is it's him. It's him alone. And God knows that we are most deeply satisfied when he is most fully glorified. And we've got to get to the place where we know that too. Otherwise, we'll keep chasing after everything and everyone else to do what only our creator can do. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 10, 37. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. Listen, that's not a threat. It's just a reality. None of us are worthy. Our hearts need consistent realignment. And when left unchecked, our hearts will wander. They'll even get lost in the woods. Frozen too, anybody? They'll meander. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll love our kids more than Jesus. We'll love our careers, our girlfriends, our spouses more than Jesus. Now, we'd never, ever say that out loud, but our actions betray us. We would never admit it, but in our heart of hearts, we know it's true. So so what do we do? How do we reset our hearts? Here's what Jesus said. Knowing we were created to worship, we must, Mark 12, 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Pastor Jim says it like this. I love it. He says, God has this crazy idea that worship is all about him. And here's the thing. When we make worship all about him, loving him with all we are and with all we have, with our hearts, our motivations, our desires, the why we do what we do, with our souls, our emotions, with our personalities, with our minds, our reason, our logic, our intelligence, our attention, our focus, with our strength, our resolve, our bodies, and our actions. This is how we worship the way God requires. It's not just with song lyrics, but it's like this and with song lyrics. It's not just with our eyes closed, but it's like this and with our eyes closed. It's not just with the music playing, but it's like this and with the music playing. And God is so serious about this loving God and loving others thing that he sent one of his prophets, Samuel, to say this, 1 Samuel 15, what is more pleasing to the Lord? 
your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? And then he answers. He says, listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And some of the kids in the room are like, if, I've, if I hear that scripture one more time before I get a spanking. <laughs> and submission is better than offering. In other words, God is almost like, it is so cool that you're singing to me. I love the joyful noise, but I want more than your voice. I want you to listen to my voice. I want you to do as I've asked. And then Jesus says it like this in John 14. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, obey my commandments. See, this isn't a call to legalism. This isn't a call to to-do lists and to don't lists. It's a call to obedience. And listen to how serious Jesus takes loving him and loving others. He said it like this in Matthew 5, 23. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone somewhere has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then Come and offer your sacrifice to God. Paul said it like this in 1 Timothy 2. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and free from controversy. Friends, this is all part of worship. Forgiving others and loving others is part of worship because God cares so much about your heart and your soul, and your mind, and your strength. He wants you to be right with him, and he wants you to make it right with others. And as a result, when we worship like this, our focus is realigned from off of our problems and onto his character from all the impossibilities of our situations to the unseen possibilities of his truth. And as he is magnified, everything else is shrinkified. Cheesy, I know. (laughs) But I love this term, magnify. You know, it's like when you pull out a magnifying glass and it increases your focus on what deserves your attention and it pulls your attention away from what doesn't deserve your attention. Worship's kind of like that. Worship's a lot like that. Worship is also kind of like a spotlight on a stage. And when you worship, you put the spotlight on God, on his goodness, on his character, on his inability to fail, on his love for us that never runs dry, on his plans that are bigger than our plans, and his desire to make us more like him. And what you realize is that all the unlit space on the stage is the stuff that doesn't deserve your focus in that moment. And that may be the mess that you're in. That may be the trial that you're going through. But you begin to realize that it's in those dark places that God is working behind the scenes and he's using the enemies and he's using the obstacles and he's setting the stage for what he is going to do next. But in order to realign our focus, God wants to do it by changing the way that you think. Romans 12.2 says it like this. 
Don't copy the behaviors. Don't copy the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, and it's pleasing, and it's perfect. See, it's putting God's bigness and awesomeness and worthiness in perspective against everything else. No matter how big that everything else may seem. But my question is, when there's a storm, where does your mind go? Where do you go first when things get hard? How do you get relief? Do you run to your best friend first when the pressure gets too much? Do you retreat to a TV show or mindless entertainment when you get overwhelmed? Do you sleep to get your mind off things? Do you eat to pull your focus away? Whatever that is, whoever that is, whatever it is, that tends to be our real Savior. But here's the thing. God wants that place. God wants to be your first pick, not your last resort. wants to be your first pick, not your last resort. And friends, it's when we pick God consistently over time, trial after trial, circumstance after circumstance, that's when we become more like him. It says we draw closer to him. And God's will for you, number one, if you're here and you're like, what does God want for my life? What is God's plan for my life? God's will, number one, is to make you more like him. The way you act, the way you talk, the way you think, the way you perceive situations. And God's will for you, number two, is that you would draw closer to him. James 4.8, come near to God and he will come near to you. God wants to know us more. God wants us to trust him more. God wants our relationship with him to grow deeper and to grow closer. And he wants that so bad, y'all. He wants that so bad. And he's already done so much for you. More than any boyfriend, more than any girlfriend, more than any spouse, more than any career, more than any superhero, more than any celebrity, all to win over our affections. And if we will come near to him, then he will come near to us. You see, it's a promise and it's a process. And you can't get to the promise without first going through the process. It's kind of like working out. You're like, you're one to talk. I know, I'd love to be ripped. But I love ramen noodles. I love McRibs, right? I can feel your judgment on me. I know you're questioning my taste right now. And I would love for my wife to look at me and say, what a man. But I love what a burger. (laughs) Come on, Pastor Jonathan. Come on, Pastor Jonathan. And for many of us, for many of us, we forget that the more we spend time with Jesus, 
the more we choose Jesus first, even in the valley of the shadow, the more our focus is aligned. And the more our focus is aligned, the more we become like him and he refines our character. And when we're pressed on every side, it's the fruit of the spirit that begins to gush out. And the more we become like him, the closer we get to him and the better we know him. Maybe you noticed, but God doesn't typically get rid of the hard thing. He usually leads us directly through it. It's the hard thing. It's a situation that God's using and he's trying to say, just trust in me. Stay focused on me. And if worship music helps, then blast it. Put both AirPods in. Go buy you some Beats by Dre. And God's trying to say, trust me. Even though there's going to be a promise, there will be a process that gets you there. And it may be going through your pain that gets you to that promise. 2 Corinthians 10.3 it says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. So here's what I'd like for us to do. I'd like for us to stand all over this room. And I'd like for us to fight whatever fight you're in by worshiping him. So here in a moment, we're going to open these altars. And here's what I would love, parents... If you'll gather your students and your children, and we're going to worship together. And we want to give you an opportunity as a family to sing, to lift up holy hands, to magnify Jesus as a family. And to say, hey, let's go through whatever hard times together. Because friends, strong faith builds strong families. And parents, let's model, with, let's model what loving God with all of our heart with all of our mind, with all of our soul and our strength looks like. And friends, if you're here without parents or a spouse, then I'd love for you to find some friends around you, maybe somebody in the row next to you or in front of you, one of your new best friends. And for the next few moments, I just want us to magnify him together, to make him bigger than our circumstances and our situations and allow him to realign, realign our focus. Let's show God that he's our first pick, not our last resort.